Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Brand Podcast. I am your co-host, Alex Boudreaux, here with host Evan Pabuda. If you weren't aware or haven't listened to the pilot episode, uh, when Evan and I were in college, we both joined a fraternity that eventually took our friendship to the next level. Uh, The amount of memories we created will be forever engraved in our heads, and it was literally one of the best times of our lives. And now that we are alumni, seeing new kids coming in each semester and leaving as better men is just amazing. Unfortunately, on Friday, the fraternity lost a great brother way too soon. Um, It's truly heartbreaking because life is so precious, and I want everyone to be grateful for every second of every day you get to spend with the people you love. Uh, Like Kobe Bryant said, being that it's August 24th, Kobe Day, life is too short to sit around and hold grudges. It doesn't make any sense to do it. Um, It's perfectly said. And our thoughts and prayers go out to the Bacallian family. Tristan's GoFundMe link will be in our Instagram bio in our link tree. Our Instagram is beyondthebrandent. Thank you, guys. And now for today's episode is WNBA player who played for the New York Liberty and the Seattle Storm. She was the first Caribbean and first Jamaican player in the Women's National Basketball Association. She stands at 6'4" and is known to fans as the Jamaican Hurricane. We want to welcome Simone Edwards. Simone retired just prior to the 2006 WNBA season. She retired as the team's all-time leader in rebounds, games, and minutes played. Her story is so inspiring, you know, facing the reality of growing up in an impoverished, gang-infested village in a third-world country and then becoming one of the best WNBA players of all time. She quotes, When I just started, I didn't have basketball shoes. I'm in the hot sun on the pavement, barefoot, learning the game because I was too poor to get shoes, and I wanted to quit. Well, Simone did not quit because she is one of the greats, and she shares the rest of her story in the podcast and also in her new book, Unstoppable. Aside from her talent on the court, uh, Simone is committed to community service and philanthropy. Her nonprofit, Simone for Children Foundation, works to educate and uplift children and prevent bullying. We want to thank Simone for such a great episode and being such a nice person, both on and off the court. So, Brucey boy, please take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, It's time! Recording out of New York City, New York. Welcome to the undisputed greatest podcast in the world, Beyond the Brand! 
Simone, welcome to the show. Uh, glad to have you on. Okay. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so, Simone, as I mentioned before, we, uh, you know, we start recording. We're just going to kind of uh, run through your career, um, run, run through your upbringing, and then we're going to go into some, some of the cool stuff you've been doing off the court uh, afterwards. So, um, to start it off, I mean, why don't you tell us about your upbringing in, uh, in Kingston, Jamaica. Run us through that and how you got into basketball over there and, and all that good stuff. Okay. You know, I was a track, a track star most of my life. Mm -hmm. So going into my senior year in high school, uh, I went to a track competition. And, um, you know, I never lost a, a, a race before. And so I lost, I came third, and I was like, you know, I'm going in my senior year, and now I've lost the race. Nobody's going to want me, you know, for scholarship. Um, Mm -hmm. Growing up in poverty and all that was the way out. You know, I wanted a scholarship, and uh, so I was really down leaving the stadium that evening. And then two coaches called me over. One was a local basketball coach, Keith Daly, and one was uh, Gary Hudson. Uh, mm -hmm. He died um, a few years ago, but he was coaching Oklahoma University at the time. So they called me over, and I was like, "These two guys, no one has seen." daily before um, you know I just went on over and they said you know what you're tall you can run uh, why don't you uh, practice the game for a year of basketball and we give you a scholarship wow. so and how, how old were you um, I was 16 16 so you never before time. before 16 you never never picked up the basketball before no I didn't know the game actually. Wow. Wow. there was no basketball in high school not boys or girls I wow. just never seen and then so at this point, <laughs> you know, it was like, okay, yeah, yeah, you kidding me? Mm -hmm. You know, um, so I look at them and like, what is basketball? And I mean, right. you know, they were explaining to me and stuff. And the mm -hmm. local coach said, if you come starting tomorrow, Saturday, you know, we can, um, you know, go over it. I'll teach you all the basics. You know, have a year to learn, mm -hmm. and you know, it's a way to get a scholarship. Yeah. I was like, okay, cool. You know, yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. give up that. You know, it was like out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Thought I was going to get a track scholarship. So the next morning I went, um, I actually ran to the stadium. It was like two hours because, um, again, I was poor. Didn't have any basketball shoes, so, you know, I was very feet. So I went there, the outside course. It was hot, um, and I was late, and he decided to punish me because my pride couldn't tell him that I was too poor. I didn't want to take, you know, to get the bus mm -hmm. at the time. I didn't want to murder my mom. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, practicing barefoot was a problem. I wasn't worried about that part. I didn't have a basketball shoe, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have a running shoe. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I was just, you know, I just showed up and he punished me two bricks in my hand, tell me to go up and down the court doing slides. And, you know, that was the start of it. Eventually, you know, you made your way over to the States, right? You went to a junior college. Um, uh -huh. How did you How did you end up over there, Seminole State College? Because uh, the university, like I said, Coach Gary Hudson, he decided that you know what, since I'm just learning the game for a year, in Oklahoma University, such a big university, didn't want to overwhelm me, so he said, "You'll mm -hmm. send me to Seminole Junior College in Oklahoma, and I'll spend one year at the junior college to get some more experience, you know, to see how everything, right. and then transfer over to the University of Oklahoma." Mm -hmm. um, but it so happened so. Coach Walk came down from Seminole, and he, you know, he, you know, came to check me out. And the thing is that at that time they picked me within that year um, going in 
you know, um, further along in the year when I start, you know, joining a little club team to get more practice and all right. of that. Right. Um, and they picked me on the national team because I was such a athletic um, kid. You know, I was grabbing all the rebounds. I'm mm-hmm. still raw, but they put, but they didn't play me at all. When he came to see me, he didn't see me play at all. So they didn't play me. I was the last kid. They're the youngest one and didn't get any playing time. So I thought my life is over now. Wow. You know, um, he didn't see me play. He's not going to want me. But, you know, after, you know, I apologized to him and said, I'm so sorry you came and didn't see me. And he told me that, you know, the fact that, you know, my warm-up alone showed him how good an athlete I was. You mm-hmm. know, I was just laying up over the rim. I was, you know, I could go above the rim and this was nothing at the time. Right. So he was just impressed with just my warm-up. That's why they always say, you know, whatever you do, go hard at it because you never know who's watching. Yeah. Or, so, and, and he signed me to... Um, Semi-junior college. Gotcha. So that's how I ended up there. So you said you got above the rim. Were you dunking when you went over there? Oh, yeah. I could dunk, but I couldn't grip the ball. So I could dunk uh, anything I could hold. Gotcha. I could easily just stay under the rim and jump above the rim with a tennis ball or my shoes. I used to do with shoes, but I could not grip <laughs> a gotcha. basketball. So that was my issue. I, I dunked only when I got to University of Iowa. Um, for the media. I remember being interviewed and they said, Deshaun, I took two steps with the ball and go right in. Uh, that was the only time, but I've never tried. And that was all of my regret in my sport career is that I didn't learn the two-handed dunk or learn how to grip the ball because I could easily, anybody who see pictures of me or, or see me play, know it was easy for me to get above the rim. Mm-hmm. But I was just, um, I guess, scared that I missed the dunk because I couldn't grip the ball and I didn't learn the two-handed dunk. Right. Got How you. hard was it, like, adjusting to Oklahoma? I mean, coming from Jamaica. Oh, my gosh. Must have been, like, a um, huge was, uh, cultural again, change. You know, you're, you think about you're a poor kid, so you didn't have much money. Yeah. And your parents can't afford us any money. And you're leaving from a hot, warm climate, hot climate, yep. to cold. And, you know, <laughs> so that was the, uh, and apart from that, you live in a tropical climate where there are a lot of fruit trees and everything. If you're hungry and you're poor, you walk down the street, there's a mango tree or different trees that I could pick. When you're up there, there are no trees I could pick from. So that was the first thing that kind of turned me. They came out and they were, you know, I'm looking for trees. And then I start looking for rocks because that's what I fight with. I, if somebody messes with me, there's no rocks to throw or rocks on the side of the road. <laughs> Those two things were already just... Um, would throw me off in terms of like, how am I going to adjust to this? And then all the stores were far away. And even though I do a, a lot of walking into making everything, even that, you know, um, it was just hard to get to Walmart, which was the biggest store in Seminole. And uh, it was just um, really, it was really hard. I'm not even going to lie. It was really hard. Did they provide any housing for you? Yes, I had a, yeah, I was the dorm, everything was covered, which was great, you okay. know, um, the dorm room were across um, from the ca- campus, I had a roommate then, and, um, you know, the cafeteria was there, and you could just walk across, but the problem is the cafeteria was closed on the weekend, yeah. and I didn't have, you know, like I said, I came up with a little money, and, you know, that's just for so many different, you know, things, <laughs> yeah. um, so I couldn't go and just say I'm gonna go back to my ticket to my dollar and spend my money like that. So it was just on the weekend I would just totally start. I tried to pack up stuff during the week, but it was just hard. You know, I, I know I was poor growing up, but I was never hungry like that. You know, I always had food, mm-hmm. so it was really hard for me. 
and I didn't have any friends, you know, know anybody there like that. So it just become really difficult. What about the clothing? Did you did you pack any bags for the trip, or you just com- completely well, solo? Again, growing up in Jamaica, you don't really have warm clothes, so the clothes that I packed, <laughs> you know, um, just didn't do any justice. I, I remember just putting on like five, you know, like you were school running, putting on like five of your clothes, or you just in your suitcase on the yeah. winter ticket cramp. So you know, it just. It was hard, and then I was taken um, by someone to the flea market. I remember I could get a jacket, and because you know, before then the school can't provide you know the, all the rules and everything, so you know you had to wait until the everything kicked in for you to get your basketball shoes. It was my first basketball shoe. It was so awesome, my and uh, my jacket, you know, sports jacket. But it was it wasn't easy with the warm clothes at all because I had all with um I had all summer clothes and so it was really hard adjusting to that wedding. After that, um <clears throat> you know, you spent some time in Iowa, um, where you were named a co captain and then upon graduating, uh you were signed to the WNBA by the New York Liberty, uh during their first season in nineteen ninety seven. Um from there, you know, you gained international uh fame and notoriety for um you know, being the first Jamaican woman going over there. Can you tell me a little bit what about what the experience was like? Cause like, you came from Jamaica, uh, and then, you know, you went out uh, to, to the west side of the United States for a little bit, and then to come to New York City, what, what kind of, uh, you know, culture shock was that like? Well, New York City, uh, that wasn't, I mean, it was much of a shock. I loved it at first, because, you know, again, being from Jamaica, everything I watched, just like with Oklahoma, I watched Cowboys and Indians every Saturday, so it was, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure when they took me to a powwow, uh-huh. I got a little scared, because everything is just from TV right. that you learn about, you know, um, different cultures. And then with New York, I watch it all the time, so you can imagine Madison, the most famous arena in the world. Mm-hmm. Here I am, um, standing in Madison. And that was just like, whoa. <laughs> you know, you mm-hmm. coming from, again, from this kid living in poverty in Jamaica, in a small community, and then you, you're here in New York City, walking around with a bunch of people just walking past you, mm-hmm. as if you doesn't exist. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then you're there, like, in Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. and you're just surrounded with all these, you know, people when they said it was, um, when the game started. You know, even I was on the bench, it was just amazing. Yeah. It was really an amazing experience. Yeah, yeah. We're, well, we're from, uh, well, we're based out of New York, so we, we definitely we definitely know what it's like. Uh, it can be a little overwhelming at times, but no, that, that's great. Um, so from there, how long how long did you, you spend a, a couple years uh, in New York, right? Just one. Just one. I spent the first year, and then I went overseas to Israel. The thing is that after Israel, I got hurt. I hurt my knee. Uh-huh. I had a meniscus there, so, mm-hmm. you know, that was took me out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't even try out for the Liberty. I didn't uh, return back to the WNBA until the year 2000 for the Seattle Storm. Right. And then I actually was going to start with De- Detroit. Uh, they called me and bring me in in 1998, uh, but then they realized it was too late to sign a foreign bar player. Mm-hmm. Um, gotcha. There were the rules. And so, you know, they didn't know I wasn't an American citizen. Mm-hmm. At that time, so I couldn't go in there. So I came back in 2000 and was with Seattle Storm. Right, um, and that's where you know you saw. I mean, most or all of your success here in the WNBA. I mean, aside from that rookie year in New yes. York, um, you know, you won you won a, a championship. Tell me, tell me what that was like. 
oh my gosh, when you start with a team and you 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 see you start out just sometimes the first season just winning six games, you mm-hmm. know, um, stuff like that. That's hard. Right. <laughs> yeah, but the fans, you know, I just remember that the fans they would stand and clap at the end of the game. Unlike New York, New York crowd is vicious. They don't play with you. And then, you know, they don't play. You got to go out. But Seattle, it was a whole different atmosphere. It was, um, you know, when we we were down by 20, because we were still fighting the crowd, they just stand up and start clapping all the way to the end. You know, like, at the time countdown. You you expect them to boo or no. They just appreciate our hard work. So, Mm. in 2004, when I finally win that championship, I was just, it was just for the fans. You just wanted that for them more than anything else. Right. So, you know, it was just an awesome feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, winning that championship is an awesome feeling, especially, you know, at that level. Uh-huh. You know, just the whole crowd, 70, over 17,000 people, and just, uh, you know, everybody giving you love, and everybody just so happy. It's just that moment you don't want to go away. Right. It was really pretty amazing. Right. It's, it's honestly, it's a shame, too. Like, I mean, I was... I mean, I'm a, I'm a Knicks fan, but I was always big on the Seattle Supersonics when they were over there, too. I mean, it's just such a great fan base and a great place to play, and it's a shame that, you know, they, they moved. But um, I know, right? Um, <laughs> so and during, your, during, your, during your time there, you, you, you played with uh, Sue Bird. Can you tell me what that was like? I know she was, uh, you know, much younger in her career at that point, but can you, can you tell me what that was like? Yeah, when I, I came in, she came two years after it. Mm-hmm. Came in two thousand I think she came in two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Lauren came to yeah, anyway. But you know, she's talented. You right. know, Sue's a talented um uh, player, you know, good guard and um it was just it's pretty awesome playing with good players because, you know, she's you know, um she reads the court well and mm-hmm. again, you know, um you just can't overlook the fact that she's a great player in mm-hmm. her position. So mm-hmm. it was just a great experience playing with her and, and all the wonderful and talented right. players um, that um, were with the Storm throughout mm-hmm. my years. Right. Was there any teammates you know that you still have a relationship with today? Any that stuck out to you the most? Um, you know, I had I was six years all my all my years in Seattle, five of the years were with Camila Vadichkova from um, Czech. Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, people used to laugh at us because it said she doesn't speak English on Jamaica, and that, but we we always bonded. We were roommates on the road mm-hmm. until they um, traded her to Phoenix, I think. Um, and we we kept in touch for a while, but then we lost stuff because she doesn't do social media thing much. And then, yeah. um, but the only other one I really, you know, to kind of then is Tully because Tully. Is one really actually one of my favorite guards I ever played with because mm-hmm. she looked out, you know, it was, she always like, Let me come like at you. So it, you know, it's, um, you know, we still keep in touch. Um, Tully Bilabaka. So hope I didn't mess up Tully's name, Bilabaka. <laughs> um, but she, you know, she's still living out there in Indiana. Great personality. One of my favorite players to play with. So yeah, she's one of the few nice. that I keep up with. Nice. And what about. Opponents, your favorite opponent playing against? Let me tell you the truth. I, I all the players that have the great um, post players. I used to, I used to love playing against you. Know, the Griffin, I used to love playing against. I used to Tina um, with Tina. I used to love playing against LA, especially with Lisa. I love playing against all the team with these 
really good post player because I'm the one who gets to guard them. Right. And it just makes me better. You know, it's just, it's just like when I was in Seminole. I had most of my points against the best teams. Mm. You, you know, I just love the competition. It just make they just push you, you know, to go hard. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's just all the all the great post players that played in the league that I get to play against. <laughs> I really just there was nobody that stand out that I'd be like this one. I just there are just a few that I have the utmost respect for because of their level of play. Yeah, I mean, you came you came into the WNBA that like. A time when all those people, like you, you mentioned a couple, but like it was a good time in the WNBA. I mean, you had, you had a lot of people now who are looked back as, as like as legends, you know, like, just like you, just like you are. I mean, but like Lisa Leslie and all those, like you mentioned, it, it, it's it's cool the era that you uh, you kind of came into. Yeah, it, it's pretty awesome, especially the first year. You know, it's so different because that first year, I guess everybody was so excited. People were just, you know, I was one of the rookie on the team, the young ones coming in, and you have to like Teresa Witherspoon, Kit Hampton. These are the ones who've been playing overseas for a while, and they just embrace you, you know, and it was just so much love and respect. You know, nowadays, you have some of these younger players coming in because they are automatically stars from college and stuff, so they, the attitude is not as good. You know, it just, I don't know. I'm used to, like, respecting the coach. Sometimes you see the way they up with the coach and it's just so different now with these younger stars mm-hmm. that that's why I really appreciate the era that I played in it's just that you know the money's better now right. yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. so I, I mean I was actually I was going to get into that a little later with you but since you brought it up I, I mean it's it's completely I mean it's better now like you said but it's completely unfair I mean in my oh opinion my the, the, pay, the pay difference between men and women I was going to I wanted to get your take on it because that's such a hot hot debated topic I mean, now Come on, think about it. I mean, I think the last play on the guys' um, team in the NBA that's just a practice player, all this salary cover old female team back then, would actually, you know, it was that bad. Yeah. Um, players that you wouldn't know, you know, you don't know <laughs> because you just dress out, you know, you yeah. just practice. And so, you know, I, I remember just being in Seattle and I went for the Sonic Sea. I guess that year they were about to leave. And, um, you know, I watch the guys, the guys come in and different cars and just you know, looking at the salary, man. You're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like, it was so, it just was just so terrible. You couldn't even believe that it would be that bad. You know, the difference. It's like, you can't even, it's just so, it was just bad. And even now, it's still bad compared. But, I mean, at least there's some improvement. But I'm just saying, you know, we have to, overseas. Until now, players are still going overseas to make more overseas. We have to go, so we play all year round, which um, wore us down, our knees and everything, you know, you have to retire early. Compared to the men, they just play and then they go play golf for a few months and then come back because <laughs> what they play and make, they, that can maintain it for years, right. you know, while we, what we play, that's just a few months that's gone and then, <laughs> so you have to go overseas and play. So that's the hard part. Yeah. No, um, that you have to go over after the WNBA. Right. All right. Cool. So, post-retirement, um, you know, you were selected to be the Jamaican basketball women's national, um, to the national team, um, the, winning the country's first ever gold medal uh, in the 2006 Caribbean Basketball Confederation Championship. Um, kind of take us what that, that meant, like, you know, what that meant to you, you know, being uh, the pride that you have, you know, where you're from and everything and, and, and winning for your country. 
Oh, that was great because it's the first time most of the people that I love and my family ever see me play in person. Mm -hmm. So that gives them a chance to actually see me play. Right. Um, and again, you know, just to win a championship at home was also, you know, pretty awesome. So it, it was just that double-double, the double, fact that my family gets to see me play and the fact that we won it at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's great. Like, I mean, I can only imagine. And then, you know, you, you come back, you know, eight years later um, in 2014, you return as the head coach uh, and you won another gold medal. Uh, what does that mean? Like, which one was more, which one kind of sticks for you more as a player or as a coach? The coach. Because you know what? Since I, since 2008, I've always, I've been a player coach for the national team since what, 2008. Mm -hmm. So I actually was on training the team, but then I'd get someone to come in and coach. Mm -hmm. uh, with me while I play mm -hmm. but I'm the one who usually prepare the team uh, for competition and so I've been a player coach so the I'm the first player coach in the history of FIBA because I've been a player coach um, all these years before I became an official head coach right. I've always been the um, the coach for the team I just was a player too so um, I would train the team I'm the one who lead the training and then um, I'll get a coach to come in and do, you know, head coaches in the competition. Mm -hmm. Most time I'm the one that prepared the team. So in 2013, I was player coach, actually, um, the first player coach in FIBA. It was, it was a player coach, actually, like mm -hmm. signing as a head coach and a player. Mm -hmm. And then in 2014, I was only a coach, mm -hmm. which was, you know, the first time just being the head coach for the play, and that's the time I won a championship, the first time being a head coach, just only a head coach. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was pretty awesome because, again, it was overseas and, um, you know, the competition, we were down, and that's my first time actually, again, call a timeout, you know, <laughs> you know as a head coach. So the fact that I wanted my first and being a head coach, head coach, um, that was just pretty awesome. So yeah. And, again, so I wanted for Jamaica, again, awesome. So uh, mm -hmm. the, that is nothing compared to, like, still winning as a player. Right. So, and then you have, I mean, you have a lot of, you know, pride in your country and where you're from. Um, and then, you know, later on you founded uh, Simone for Children, uh, which is to uplift and educate children in Kingston. Uh, it's a global initiative, so it's not just there, it's everywhere. Um, and the Anti-Bully Project, um, what kind of inspired that, you know, what kind of inspired uh, you to gravitate towards, you know, one, ed educating the youth, and then two, the anti-bully thing? Um, so it all came from, uh, again, growing up in poverty. I've always said that if I make it out, I want to help the kids. And right. so I have been doing that since um, I actually started playing pro. Mm -hmm. I just made it official, um, the, um, registered, I think, in 2002. Mm -hmm. But since I've been with the Storm, um, before that, I have the years I have been supporting. I just didn't register. So I've been supporting, sending kids to school, helping with school fees and all the right. I just made it official in 2000.
And then again, when you look at all these kids committing suicide, these are babies. Look at it. These yeah. are babies. <laughs> you yeah. know, these kids are so young. Mm-hmm. You wonder how they even know how to commit suicide just mm-hmm. because people are bullying them. So I just thought, you know, any way I can help build kids' self-esteem and mm-hmm. um, no, I will. If I can save a child, I build their self-esteem and I'm child's So that's what I continue to do. Yeah, that's amazing. So you you said you were bullied. How did you, what would your advice be to, to kids now, you know, who are dealing with it and they kind of feel like there's no way or no help out of it? Like, how did you deal with it? How did you, you said you kind of took on that mentality where it was like, I'm just going to own that I'm, I'm tall, right? And then you kind of ran with it and you made the yeah. most of it. How, how would you, how would you, what advice would you give to kids today? You know what? You know what I used to use? It's so funny because well, I guess most of us would know. You know, they say, after saying, stick and stone and break your bone, but words can allow me. My dad used to say that. I was that from a very early age. And I remember my mom, uh, I remember I was walking and I was kind of approaching and she said, stand straight, you know, be proud of your height. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if not, you're going to let somebody that is stranger that don't know you, even when you know, um, you know, ruin your life because of their words. You mentioned you learned to play basketball barefoot on hot pavement, right? Yes. What What thoughts kept you pushing during that time? The fact that I was living in poverty and I wanted to um, get out of it and help my mom. That's what I'm just saying. You know, there was no other. I, we can't afford college. You know, I didn't want to just end up like some of the other girls. I just want. I just think that. I think it was more for me. I've always had a big dream of that there's more for me. And my mom worked so hard, was living with my mom and three brothers, and she just made sure we all had the food. Um, you know, we did school. And so it was just one of those things that I couldn't let her down. And I could hear her sometimes crying at night, you know, praying and crying because I know she fell short because I was wearing her shoes at one time and her feet bigger than mine. And so, you know, I said nothing to the tissue because she couldn't afford to buy my shoe yet for school. And so, you know, things like that. And it was just, I couldn't quit. I was thinking about these things. I said, I can't stop if I let her down. And so I just used that to push me through. I couldn't quit, no matter how things get. And it did, you know, every place I go, there were obstacles. You know, to get to the New York City, there were obstacles. I had two ACL in college. I didn't get drafted. I had to go try out against 300 girls. I was one of the two that get picked up from the camp. You know, all these stuff that were happening, it was like, I'm supposed to be great. That's what I told myself. Mm-hmm. I'm so, I just thought my book is called Unstoppable. I just think that there's no way this happens and I'm not supposed to be great. Mm-hmm. That's how I tell myself. That's what I told myself. It yeah. worked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the mentality you have to have. Wait, you said you, you tore your ACL twice in college? Yeah, back to back. And oh. it was like... <laughs> it's, funny you, it's funny you say that. Alex yeah, tore I, his ACL like eight times in college. So. <laughs> tore oh, twice. I, I, I can definitely relate to that. It's... Uh, de- <laughs> no, he, 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 he's exaggerating. <laughs> that is hard to recover. It's just really bad, you know what I'm saying? It was yeah. like six to eight months recovery. So yeah, the whole season be out. You know, nobody wanted a broken player, you know. Yeah. Um, so it was just really hard. I was like, oh, my gosh, my scholarship is about to end, and mm-hmm. I have, I'm on a um, school permit. I'm going to go back to Jamaica with my, just a BA, a bachelor, and my A, but I wanted more. That wasn't supposed to be it, you know. Mm-hmm. So things just work out, really. I was just blessed. 
Simone, uh, we're winding down towards the end here, but I want to uh, bring it up because you mentioned it, and we were going to get into it. There's the, the main thing, and I would, I would assume this is probably. Uh, I mean, you've done a lot of great things since you're created, but I would assume this is probably up there at the top, the memoir you wrote, Unstoppable. Um, tell us a little bit about that, uh, what inspired you to write it. Tell us a little about the diverse writer's room, too. No, Unstoppable, again, you know, it's, it's the story of my life, because I wanted to share it. I want kids, especially young kids. I mean, it can touch anyone at any age, but the younger kids, especially kids that feel like they're, they're just trapped, you know, in, in, in poverty or just trapped being poor, mm -hmm. and that they just think that's it, you know, because I'm poor, I'm not going to get any opportunities or because I'm poor, um, I won't be able to do this, and you want them to see that it's just, it's just a temporary situation, it can just be a temporary situation, you know, and mm -hmm. um, I just, you know, my stories talk about, again, growing up in poverty and then just all the obstacles I have to overcome to get to where I am. And it really um, was, to, especially for young girls back home, um, to have, uh, you know, I didn't have one, you know, and especially once one play basketball, I want to be that one for those girls coming out of Jamaica who wanted to play ball. Mm -hmm. Because, again, I didn't have someone at the point to say I want to be like her. And right in the middle of the game. So I wanted them to see that, hey, and the girls from my um, community that I grew up in, I wanted to say, that, oh, somebody made it out, right. you know. Um, and there were a lot of, there are a few people that I know now that, you know, came out, they're writers, very brilliant, you know, um, doing stuff, you know, coming out of the community that I'm so proud. And I just want these kids to to see that, you know, again, their present circumstance does not dictate their future. I want them to be somebody that are situation so they know that they're not just stuck in it right no, it's, I mean it's great you know the inspiration and, and you're doing a lot of giving back and inspiring kids um, obviously not just in Jamaica because you're doing it all over the world but I think it's I think it's awesome and you can keep on doing it because you know you're making a difference in a lot of people's lives but um, you also I mean, we saw on online that you were open to adapting um, your story into a movie have you heard any more on that have is there any progress with that yeah well, I'm still waiting, you know, it's in a producer hand that, that have done some very good documentaries, that, um, mm -hmm. award winning documentaries, um, and so it's just waiting to hear back. I'm keeping my finger crossed that it will have a breakthrough, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because I need it. Yeah. You know, there's so much to do, and I'm telling you, it's hard, you know, it's not, I'm not playing anymore, so the funding is not easy. You know, when I was playing, uh, my mom had to say, Simone, half my salary was going to the um, kids because I didn't need a car. I, I was just traveling with two suitcases, mm -hmm. going back and forth from Europe to home. Mm -hmm. So I would use my money to take care of the kids because I said I didn't need anything. And then mm -hmm. she was like, Simone, well, you know, you got to you know, something else. Um, but, you know, now it's just much harder. And so I um, need a lot of funding to continue doing what I do, so mm -hmm. I'm just hoping that that will be a break, you know, um, that will open doors for me, um, hopefully, because I self-publish, so it's just harder, right. uh, I'm hoping that, you know, the books will, the book will get some attention, because mm -hmm. I probably go towards helping kids, that's just right. my life, you right. know, um, so hopefully, I will hear some good news, and, um, you know, it will turn the movie, and I can do a lot more for the kids. Great. Simone, our, our fingers are crossed for you. I think you're doing a lot of great things, and, and you know, definitely keep on doing it. Um, we really appreciate you having, having you on today. Um, it's been great, and um, 
you know, you're, you're welcome to come on any, anytime. Uh, so hopefully when you get that movie deal, we'll have you back on again and we can talk about that. There we go. That's the case. I actually appreciate you. Um, but as I said, I thought Diverse Writer from, you know, um, it's actually Joe Bittice is the one, and, uh, you know, who right, right, yeah. that out because yeah, we wrote yeah. together and we're just writing all these different scripts. We have all these different scripts and stuff, and we just want to say that it's really hard to get things out there, so we wanted to create a platform for mm-hmm. Diverse Writers. And right. so that's how we get that started. But yeah. again, you know, I really appreciate y'all having me on, and um, hopefully, with fingers crossed, um, have that movie pop in so we can do this again. <laughs> yeah, we we uh we better get an invite to the red carpet when they roll it out. <laughs> yes, uh, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> you know, the premiere, you guys show up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Simone. All right, Simone, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Like a clock on the wall, me I go stick to you. Go rise, never fall, me I go stick to you. You're the greatest of all, no one else will ever do. Never ever felt this free before. The more I get of you, I want more. I never ever been so secure. Then we. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.